Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 80. This is the EEOC's five year strategic enforcement plan. Now, they released this plan, or SEP, on October 17, 2016, and it declares what areas of compliance they're going to focus on over the next five years. They call these Substantive Area Priorities, or SAPs, and it's where they're going to spend most of their time and money. Their goal is to reduce the number of discriminatory incidents by increasing the penalties, well, they call it strengthening the law, and improving working conditions. Now, this is important information for you. It's like checking the weather before you head out on vacation so you know what to be prepared for. That's what we're going to learn about on this episode of Small Biz Brainiac. Let's rock this. Now, the first SAP in the SEP, and again, that's Substantive Area Priority, in their strategic enforcement plan is the elimination of barriers in recruitment and hiring. And they say, quote, the EEOC wants to focus on class-based recruitment and hiring practices that discriminate against racial, ethnic, and religious groups, older workers, women, and people with disabilities, end quote. They're talking about policies and practices that cause certain jobs to be filled with a specific ethnic group, and restrictive application processes using things like employment tests and background checks that discriminate against protected classes. They want to create diversity in industries and workplaces like technology, where apparently they believe there are too many people from one race working as software developers and network administrators. I don't know what they're talking about. I've worked with males and females, Cubans, Italians, a South African, Caucasians, and even someone from one of those former Soviet countries, who I always suspected was a covert agent. Anyway, I see more diversification in technology than in any other field I've been associated with, but I suppose they have all the necessary data to support their concerns, so who am I to question? But how do they plan on doing this? How do they plan on eliminating this inequality? Well, things like this, telling you what questions you cannot ask during the application process, or restricting your use of background checks, and eliminating your use of pre-employment physicals. I've talked about application questions and background checks in many of the past episodes, in fact, seven of them, episodes 52 through 55 and 68 through 70. So if you're interested in hearing more about the application process, and about background checks, you can go listen to those episodes. They're also going to try to get some of the same rules that already apply to government contractors to apply to every other employer, like making sure that people with disabilities have full access to the application process. So if you're a contractor and you only use an online application system, you have to make sure it's accessible. You have to incorporate the web content accessibility guidelines, which are an industry standard, for making the web content accessible to people with disabilities. Otherwise, you have to provide an additional means of application that disabled people can access, and you have to treat those applications equally. Now, the second SAP 
is protecting vulnerable workers, including immigrant and migrant workers, and underserved communities from discrimination. So, for example, an employer might only hire U.S. citizens based on Form I-9, not just people who are eligible to work. Or they might have a blanket, no arrest or no criminal record hiring policy, even though they don't have a viable reason for it, one that's consistent with the business necessity. And I talked about that in episode 69. And if you listened to it, you'll remember the statistics on arrests and incarcerations by race. There are more arrests and more incarcerations as a percentage of the population for certain races. And therefore, the EEOC thinks that a blanket policy is discriminatory towards those races that have the higher percentage. Now, this SAP also includes English-only rules. And the EEOC says that these rules violate the law unless you can show a justified business necessity. You can't outright ban your employees from speaking another language at work. But you may require English when it comes to things like safety, emergencies, or customer interactions. The EEOC also explains that this SAP includes employment practices that discriminate based on national origin from, wait for it, minimum height requirements. Yes, the EEOC says that such a requirement may discriminate against Hispanics and Asians. It's saying that they're short. Now, this particular one is near and dear to my heart, which I carry around in my 5-foot, 7-inch frame. I spent two years in Mexico many moons ago, and I'll be honest with you, I felt normal there. I can't help but laugh at this one. I even researched height discrimination to see if this is a real thing, and as it turns out, it's called heightism. Isaac B. Rosenberg wrote a lengthy article about this in 2009. He said that, quote, This article looks critically at heightism, i.e., prejudice or discrimination against a person on the basis of his or her height. It specifically focuses on heightism in the workplace, particularly prejudice against short people because of the unique disadvantage they face compared with their taller counterparts, end quote. Well, as a vertically challenged person myself, I say to the EEOC, bugger off. I'm not a vulnerable worker who needs your help. Now, the third SAP is addressing selected, emerging, and developing issues. And it focuses on things like job segregation, harassment, pay discrimination, and retaliation against vulnerable workers. I wonder if short people get paid less for equal work. I should look into that. Now, they say that immigrants and migrant workers are often unaware of their rights under equal employment laws or they're reluctant or unable to exercise them. And they currently have five issues that they consider emerging or developing. But the one I want to elaborate on is this one, quote, clarifying the employment relationship and the application of workplace civil rights protections in light of the increasing complexity of employment relationships and structures, including temporary workers, staffing agencies, independent contractor relationships, and the on-demand economy, end quote. Now, what this means is that they want to make sure that no matter what you do or what the working arrangement is, there's always someone who can be deemed the employer. They also want to designate more than one employer. 
If you haven't already listened to episodes 60, 61, and 62, I recommend you do that because I talk about the Department of Labor's view on the workplace and all about their war on joint employer or their joint employer battles. I believe this is the EEOC's highest SAP, and they're not going to stop until they are able to hold someone or two someones, i.e. employers, responsible for EEOC compliance. And it doesn't stop there. In fact, OSHA is even in on the joint employer war. They want to hold franchisors responsible for the safety of their franchisees' workplaces. Gloria Gonzalez reported for Business Insurance on October 26, 2016, that the U.S. House of Representatives is trying to get the Labor Department to produce documents related to the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration's, or OSHA's, efforts to hold franchisors responsible for their franchisees' workplaces. So last year, an internal OSHA memo brought this issue up, and the DOL is refusing to provide information to Congress about it. They're hiding the information from not just you and me, but our elected representatives. This DOL regime has literally run amok. Now, fourth is ensuring the equal pay protections for all workers. Now, this is another big SAP. It's their second highest priority. And they mostly mean equal pay for women. The EEOC is pushing for passage of the Paycheck Fairness Act and encouraging states, counties, and cities to pass equal pay laws on their own. And I cover that topic in episodes 52 through 55. I didn't realize until this episode just how many I've done on EEOC-related matters. It just goes to show you how massive the regulations are and how much impact they have on you as an employer. Well, we're out of time for this episode, so we'll have to skip the last two saps and maybe talk about those at a later time. So there you have it, the five-year agenda of the EEOC. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.